And so today we're going to focus in on what the Bible has to say about friendship. And John 15 will not be a text that we stay in very long. We'll be all over the, the place, but most of the scriptures will be behind my head there, okay? But I want to read John 15 for us, and then I will uh, pray, and then we will spend the time uh, together. So I want to read John 15, verses 12 through 15. The Word of God says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for loving us today. I thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. I thank you for being present when many times maybe no one else is. I thank you for understanding in ways that no one else can. I thank you for comforting in ways that no one else can. I thank you for reaching our hearts in ways and in places that no one else can reach. And Father, I just thank You for dying for sinners like us because no one else could do it for us. I thank You for raising Your Son Jesus from the dead that we might have life in Him like no other life. And so now, God, as we talk, I just pray that You would comfort and encourage, draw us near to You, build us up that we might love well, and may You get the glory by this time. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There's a book that I read to my children um, regularly uh, when they were younger, and it is a, a children's book by Noel Piper, and it's called, Do You Want a Friend? And so I'm going to read this book to you. I have it right here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just the beginning. It says, One time there was a little boy. His family moved to a new place. And he didn't know anyone in the houses nearby. And that made him feel lonely. Now, this is landmark. In regards to how to make friends. Here's what he did. So he sat on the front steps. And he cried out, Friends! Friends! That was his solution on how to get friends. Because he wanted a friend. He wanted a friend. He was lonely. And it says right after that, after the pictures of him sitting on the front steps and yelling, before long he found some friends. Now, what will move us Besides sitting on the front steps yelling at the top of our lungs, I'm not sure that's going to work. What will move us from feeling lonely that we don't know the people around us to saying, after a little while, we found some friends? 
What does it mean to have a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? Is that something we should pursue at all? What is this concept of friendship that the Bible talks about regularly? Today, we don't just find a funny little story. We find real lives that are hurting because they struggle to have friendship. I've heard story after story of people saying, I'm fighting really hard, I'm striving really hard, but I struggle to find friends. And that's lonely. And it's painful. And on top of that, we as a church, we're a sending church. We want people to use their lives for the glory of God. That means you work with all your might where you are in your workplace to love people to Jesus because He's the greatest hope that anyone can have. But it also means that there are some that He is going to call away to love in other places. And so uniquely this past year, we've sent out several community group leaders. We've sent out several international workers overseas. We've seen people in a glorious way have their, our prayers for them answered in job promotions, but those promotions take them other places. And many of you who've spent one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years trying to get to know these individuals and now they leave. And that's painful. And you almost begin to ask, is it worth starting over? And so today what we're going to talk about is the importance of friendships. And ultimately answering this question, how do I make God-glorifying friendships? There are five things that I want to hold out. One, understand what friendship is. Two, put friendship and its proper place that is necessary, but not primary. Three, set healthy expectations. Four, make love your aim. And five, pursue Christ who is substantially better. The importance of friendships. How do we make God-glorifying friendships? I want to begin with understanding what friendship is from the Bible. The first time this concept of friend is used like we would think about it as a companion who is close is Genesis 38:12, And it says there, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, that is Shua's daughter, died. So Judah, his wife died. And when Judah was comforted, he traveled somewhere. He went to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hirah, the Adulamite. What do we notice there at the beginning? A man who is in major trial, experiencing the death of his wife, he doesn't want to travel alone. He wants to travel with a friend. You begin to see that friendship begins to draw out this sense of a close relationship. A relationship that might bring comfort in the midst of sorrow. Let's go to Exodus 33.11. There, a very interesting phrase is used for God's relationship with Moses. And it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What are we to get from this concept? God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. There's a sense of familiarity. There's a sense of closeness and intimacy. 
They talked. They knew each other. You go on in other verses. Deuteronomy 13.6 uses a phrase that says, A friend who is of one's own soul. This sense of tightness. There's another verse in 1 Samuel 30.26 when David, after he finished a war, he began to gather some of the spoils and he said that he thought of his friends and he gave to his friends. Who are friends? Friends are those that you have on your mind. Those that you think about. The Proverbs help us in friendship as well. Proverbs 17.17 A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. It's one who is there in the midst of trial. Proverbs 27.9 tells us that a friend brings earnest counsel. Seeks to counsel and instruct. Friends are not always the most shining bulbs on the string of lights. In Job, you have friends friends that spend time with Job, and they're called friends, but it doesn't necessarily represent great health at the time. They seem to be against Job, even though they were called friends. So their friends means closeness. It doesn't always mean healthy, although that's the strife. And what we strive for. In the New Testament you see similar things. But you begin to see varying degrees of intimacy. Varying degrees of closeness, right? You can be close in different ways. I'm close to those drums. I'm close to this stage and this pulpit. There's varying degrees of closeness. Varying degrees of health. Jesus says this, Matthew 11:19. It said of Him, That He was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. A friend to tax collectors and sinners. He spent time with them. He was near to them. But in the passage that I read for you earlier, in John 15, if you look at it in the Scriptures, Jesus calls those who trust Him and abide in Him find refuge in Him, and bear fruit for Him. He calls them uniquely friends in a way that unbelievers are not friends. Varying degrees of friendship. This kind of friendship is, I no longer call you servants if you obey what I command you to do. That is, if you're in a relationship with me and you're producing fruit for my name, that means you're abiding in me. That's where we were last week. He says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He doesn't have a relationship, an intimate relationship. But I have called you friends, for I have heard from my Father. What I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. It is Jesus disclosing Himself and disclosing intimate details about the Father, giving insight by the Holy Spirit into Him. And all of a sudden you get this sense of there's different ways you can use friend, but no more intimate than when you're a friend of God. So maybe we could summarize this, what the Bible says about friendship is something like this. A relationship of connectedness marked by a closeness and intimacy which 
vary in degrees of quality and health. Because you have different degrees of friendship. Different levels of friendship. And then also, some friendships are healthier than others, right? You're closer to some than others. You're not estranged to others. So, a connectedness marked by closeness and intimacy. You're known. But it's in varying degrees of quality. In varying degrees of health. And so then we might ask the question then, what place does friendship have in our lives? This is what the Bible begins to say, and this is not exhaustive, of course, but this is what the Bible begins to say about friendship. What place does it have in our life? And this is where the second point, I think, comes to bear. How do we make God-glorifying friendships? Is that we put friendship in its proper place as both necessary but not primary. Necessary, but not primary. Necessary. What do I mean by that? We were created for community. If you've been with TCC longer than just a few weeks, you will have heard this message over and over and over again. We were created for community. We were created to give glory to God in the context of being with one another. It was never meant to be us on an island with God. Me and my own relationship with God and no one else. That is not the biblical picture. You see it at the very first pages of the Bible in Genesis 2. It was not good for the man to be alone. Why? Because he was given a command to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. To demonstrate the kingdom of God. To demonstrate the relationship that God has with Himself. To multiply and produce the glory of God to the ends of the earth. It needed community. Needed friendship. And so God creates Eve, this perfect partner for Adam, that together they might multiply God's glory to the ends of the earth. Friendship is for multiplying God's glory. It always has been and it always will be. Don't miss that. This is not just getting a pal. This is how you have been created to be with other people to spread God to one another and to the ends of the earth. God is at the center of friendship. And therefore, together, to each other, to our children, to strengthen the weak, we have been crafted for community. That's why when you see God, He creates a people. A people that must dwell together and live together in trust to God. You see heaven as the gathering of all peoples from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language. And they're gathered together as a people, as a community. Worshipping God. When God says He gives gifts to His people, gifts make no sense if they weren't meant to be given away to friends and to community. What good does it do you that you can teach or encourage or serve if there's no one to serve? You were crafted for community. That's why there's over 31 one another commands in the Bible. None of which you can obey without friendship and community. 
It even says in Ephesians 3 that the church, the gathering of God's people, is the way that God wants to make His wisdom, His multifaceted wisdom, like the multifacets of a diamond, to make it known to the world, even to the cosmic powers, rulers and authorities. is through the church. And it's multifaceted, which means it's not just one person. It's a bunch of people. Diversity relating in harmony. We were created for community. Friendship is necessary. Community is necessary. This interconnectedness and interdependence is necessary. But it is not primary. It is not primary. At the risk of undoing the beauty of friendship, I'm going to say it's not primary. A necessity, but not the end game. For friendship to have its proper place, we must understand the limitation of earthly friendship. Friendship is not always perfect, right? If you've ever had a friend, that means you've known them longer than an hour, which means you have not only had great joys, but you have also had pains. Closeness, the closer you get, it will always bring tension. You begin to let your guard down. They begin to see the real you. And you begin to see the real them. You don't always like what you see. Every time I do premarital counseling, that's the first place we start. You guys are great friends. And I want you to be best of friends. But you both are also sinners. And it's two selfish people being slammed together. It's going to create friction. Closeness always brings tension. And then there are those where you have been in relationships where your trust has been broken. Where you have been used rather than loved. The Proverbs speaks about this. Proverbs says, Wealth brings many new friends, but the poor man is deserted by his friends. Were they really friends? Money brought all kinds of friends. Poverty, all the friends scattered. That's the way high school was for me, right? Popularity, you know, if, if you could be with the in crowd, you would, people would flock to you when you made a fool of yourself. Nobody stuck around. If you could provide a car ride to a party, those were your friends, right? All of a sudden you had a bunch of friends. If you could host the party, you had a bunch of friends. But... Unless you were making something beneficial for them, sorry, no more closeness, no more asking how you're doing, no more hanging out. And some of you have been there. You thought somebody wanted to get to know you for you, and you felt used. This happens. This happens. And what else happens is jealousy happens at times, right? And I think I see this a lot in little girls. And I get this from this little book on friendship that we have out in the uh, foyer. It's called Making Friends. It's by this woman named Dee Breston. And she says this. Here's a kid's letter. It says this. Dear Tricia, Jill is my best friend. And you have to get another friend. Don't save Jill a seat at lunch. 
or meet her at her locker, find a different friend. Jill is my best friend, and you are trespassing. Is this clear? Love, Kelly. <laughs> Have you ever felt threatened? Like you got really close to somebody, and then they had the audacity to get close to someone else? This little girl is just expressing sometimes what happens in the heart. A sense of jealousy. You finally felt like you had a relationship, a friendship, closeness. Only to find out they've been having a good relationship with somebody else. How dare them? Or maybe our expectations need to be altered. No individual can bear a load of being primary. A primary relationship. No one can bear that load. God alone can bear the load of a primary relationship, a primary friendship. And so why does He command us to be in relationship with others? It's because we need others because they reflect truths about God. I don't know if you get this, but the reason God crafted us to be with others is because they reflect God to us. Imperfect so it may be. We need others because they reflect truths about God. The great things they do when they call and ask how we are, when they are close to us, when they pray for us, when they cry when we are down, when they laugh with us, when they think of us on our birthday, or when they celebrate a, a job promotion or a raise. What does that do? Imperfect though it is, it's only a shadow of the greater substance who rejoices with you in ways you never really knew. One who is closer to you than even a brother can be. One who is filled with more joy than you will ever have. One who is always, never ceasingly, working for your good. It is God Himself. One who is always praying for you. Any good thing that you have in a relationship, it is just meant to reflect the great things about God. But when people find their limitations, and it will happen, they will let you down. They will say a harsh word. Those limitations are also supposed to communicate something about God. God has no limitations. And He is fully sufficient where every other human is insufficient. That is why community and friendships, they are necessary, but they are not primary. They are only pointers to what Jesus alone can give us. And so, we must understand these relationships, they are not primary. They are necessary, but not primary. So what do you do with it? If they're necessary, you must strive for it. Fight for friendships. Work hard for friendships. But if they're not primary, then you must be careful not to demand it. Strive for friendship, but do not be one who is demanding. A very helpful thing when you have made a friendship primary is when your desire shifts to a demand. 
I want to be with you. Shifts to, I have to be with you. When I want you to call and I want you to pray for me, I want you to text me to, you must do this. Other things that help us to understand when we have made something that shouldn't be primary primary is where do we run for refuge? First. You've had those times when you're just really down and really sad and the first thing you want to do is to pick up the phone and to call somebody. That is a healthy thing, especially for some of you who feel like you can make it on your own. You can't. You need people. You are crafted for community. But please, we must make first things first. Our God invites us to give Him our fears and our tears, our guilt and our shame. If you're always running to that one person or those couple people first before you run to God, you're probably placing too much upon the shoulders of a person and not enough upon the strong shoulders of our God. He wants you. And He calls you to come to Him. And so what does it look like to strive for community but not demand it? Strive for it. That is, pray for it. Pray for friendships. Go to God. If He has crafted us for community, then even if someone has left you for a season, even if a friendship that you had for a season is now gone, then you must believe that it is not only best for those people who have had to go, but it's also best for you. And best means a deeper relationship with God and that He wants you to find community. He wants you to have community and friendship. So pray for it. Pray for it. We have at Treasure in Christ Church, we have community groups. Community groups are not always the place where you are going to find your best friend. It's not going to happen for everyone. And that's not even primarily the goal. We pray for that to happen, but that's not even primarily the goal. Community groups are to foster a sense of closeness to God through one another. Community groups are there. These are groups that meet in homes around the Word of God in order to help further cultivate family and to stir one another up to think about how to love beyond self. It's a group that's meant to help us keeping walking with God. And like I said, you might not find your best friend there, but you will have people there that you can get to know where your gifts can be used and in the ten years at Treasuring Christ Church, my wife and I have had tons of community groups. Six to seven plus. And when you're in that many community groups, it's hard to grow really, really deep with all those people. You move on and proximity creates relationship. 
But in the group that I'm in now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if someone in that group said, someone has died in my family, if they opened up their heart and they said, I am really struggling here, I know that there would be people that rally around in varying degrees that will pray for, that will seek to listen to. And that happened because you came together with people you didn't know. People that might not even be like you. Around the Word of God to get to know one another. Will they be your best friend? Will they be the person that maybe you go to in the moment of, of just, you know, I've had a bad day. Maybe not. You might not divest your heart like that. But what we are crafting and creating by just regularly meeting together around the Word is we're building up a threshold of trust. We're constantly pointing one another to the Word. And the more regular we are together, the more that we will grow. Not only to love God, but to see our gifts flourish and to love one another. And I labor this point because how we defined our need for friendship is crucial. Which leads us to our third idea. You must set healthy expectations. You must set healthy expectations. Why is that? Because if you set your expectations at a 10 and you get an 8, you're still let down. But if you realize that you are at a 0 or you are at a 3 and significant relationship happened, then all of a sudden with low expectations and high love, you're counting victories rather than defeats. You're saying, look at what God has given me rather than look at what I don't have. Healthy expectations are crucial. They're crucial. And I think the mantra of counting the victories of what God has given you in friendship is indispensable when it comes to having a joy-filled life and of being a healthy friend. Counting the victories. I think many marriages need to count the victories that they have in their spouse rather than only the deficiencies. Because newsflash, every marriage has deficiencies. And every spouse has deficiencies. And no spouse will be able to be Jesus for you. It just won't happen. Some of you who have great relationships in college, and you have close friends, count that as a victory. Deepen it, but don't make it primary. Deepen it, because what I think is a healthy expectation, it's centered around the concept of time. Time. 
Friendship takes time. In college, you have more time than you do when you're older. You do. And that's a gift. It's a good thing. But some of you who are now married, some of you who now have more of a full-time job, some of you who have children, you do not understand how little time you now have to make friends. And you wondered why you can't make them like you used to. If you compressed all the time you invested in friendships in college for many of you, or high school, it would probably take you 10 to 15 years to duplicate that amount of time looking forward with your life. How many of you have tried to set up a time to meet with somebody only to have your kid get sick and you can't meet with them for another month? How many of you have fought to get together with a couple who now a business trip comes up and you can't get together with them and schedules are so crazy and now all of a sudden you can't get together for another few weeks? It's different. And I'm afraid that we haven't realized And therefore, we've set this expectation that we're going to have friends just like we used to. I had a great best friend growing up. His name was Pat Bullock. I love Pat Bullock. But I have not talked to Pat Bullock in about 17 to 20 years. We did everything together. We played He-Man together. We played G.I. Joe together. I went over to his house. He came over to my house. We went all through high school together. He was the guy that was like my one friend that was kind of a moral compass in the midst of all kinds of debauchery around me that were my friends back then. We played sports together. And then we went to college. Three, maybe four times that I have talked to him since then. Were we friends? Yes. Are we still friends? I guarantee you, if I came to Pat Bullock, our relationship would click right back up. Uh, he loves Jesus. We would connect. But it's different. In college, I made different friends. Those who I played on sports teams with, those who I sung with, or those who I was just out with, we did these things together. I only have one or two, three or four from college that... I keep up. We went different directions. Expectations are, one, you have different time. Different amounts of time. Expectation number two, there are different seasons of life. You cannot try to reproduce what you didn't have. Look forward to be the best friend you can be in the here and now. And let me, in, let, me let you in on something. When you try to reproduce what you had... You try to make other people who they're not. And you try to make one person be that one person you used to have. But maybe God has designed three or four friendships to be the beautiful aspects of those that one or two friends you used to have to be something different to you. In different quantity even. Do you see why I said it out at the beginning? We've got to set healthy expectations. Your time is limited. Your seasons are different. 
But count the victories. Count the victories. Strive, but don't demand. And so, you must understand, God has placed you here. God has placed you in this church. There are friends to be had here. But I want to tell you that how do you make God glorifying friendships? You make love your aim, not getting a friend your aim. You make love your aim, not getting a friend your aim. Love means a sense of self-forgetfulness. And a sense of Christ closeness. It is a sense of you're not consumed by what you don't have. You're consumed by what you want to be for someone else. You're mindful of their needs. I know you might say, well, that's a pipe dream. I'm selfish and I I think about myself all the time. I get that. So do I. This is why we said it's a fight. It's a striving. But I'm telling you, the way you're going to grow in friendship is to make love your aim, not getting a friend your aim. All of a sudden, you've taken friendship, which is meant to be not primary, and you've lifted it to primary. And if you don't have it, you're devastated. You're down. You blame everybody around you. You get frustrated. But what God has given you the ability to do, according to John 15, is to love. He's given you the ability to love, to listen, to pray for, to be there. You can't be there for everyone, which is also what community groups are helpful for. It kind of limits some things. But as you love, as you love, the best way To have God-glorifying friendships is to be a friend yourself. Is to be a friend yourself. When you look at some friendships in the Bible, I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time there, but you see friendships like Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Mary and Elizabeth, Paul and Barnabas, all in varying degrees of intimacy and closeness. And these are great studies for you to have. But as you look at these relationships, I think a few things stand out. What does it mean to be a friend? It means to forget oneself. If you look at Ruth, she just lost her husband. And her mother-in-law is there just having lost her husband and now lost her sons. And Ruth, in the middle of her grief, Her mother-in-law looks and says, basically, heck, if you hang around me, you're not going to get remarried. You should just go out. Go back to your land and go and get remarried. And one of her daughter-in-laws did that, but Ruth refused. And it said that Ruth clung to Naomi tightly. And here's what she says in Ruth chapter 1. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. 
I want to be near to you. And she went out and spent her life gathering things in order that she might be a blessing to her mother-in-law. When you see David and Jonathan, David's life was threatened by Jonathan's daddy. And it said that their hearts were knitted together. Jonathan risked his own life in order that he might warn his friend David and watch David's life be spared. And they said they were so close. And Jonathan, who was the natural right and heir to the kingship, it says that he took off his robe and gave it to David because he knew God had a different plan. Can you take second spot? Can you live in obscurity for the sake of God's greater plan? To be a blessing. It's self-forgetfulness. And it's also the other thing that you find in common is risk. Friends, you will never make a friend if you don't risk. Inherent in love is risk. Ruth risked it all. She left her homeland. She left her gods. And she said, I'm going to follow this God. I'm going to go to a land that I don't know. Jonathan risked his life. David risked his life for Jonathan. But we're not just talking about risking life. We're talking about risking what sometimes hurts more. Risking somebody saying no. Risking the fact that you're not going to be best friends with everybody. Your lives don't match up with everybody. Some people are a lot busier or whatever. It just You're going to be let down in your pursuit. Is it worth it? I remember my wife and I, it took almost 15, 20 years to make this friendship with um, Kent and Candace Caps. Kent was one of the pastors that started uh, this church with Pastor Travis and Julie and myself and my wife and they lived near us. And then a few years ago, about five, they felt the stirring of the Lord to go a different direction. And they left. Just from experience, I don't have anything to like put a label on this. It hurts worse to be left than it does to go. You're like really excited to go when you see other opportunities and things. But when you're left, and you look at that house where your friends used to be, where you used to go over and get sugar. Not like kisses, <laughs> but sugar and flour. When you used to go over and used to just hang out. That relationship, that's hard to reproduce. And it might not happen. And it won't happen in the same way because God has different plans. He has different plans for us. But what has always been the same is that we must take the risk of sticking our neck out and opening ourselves up to other people. Because you ask, I asked my wife this when we were in tears over our friends leaving. Okay, were those years worth it if we don't interact with them ever again? And the answer was yes. It was worth it. So what does it mean? It means you got to stick your neck out there again. It might get lopped off. It might get a little punch. It might get a hug. Friendships only happen with risk. And they only happen with self-forgetfulness. When you make love your aim and not friendships. And so finally, 
This is the shortest but most important. How do you make God-glorifying friendships? You pursue Christ who is substantially better. Why do I use that word substantially? Because if I say, oh, you don't have a friend, God's your friend, be warm and fed. You would be like, you don't get it. You don't get my pain. You don't get my loneliness. And yet I want to say, yes, you have been crafted to be with people, touch people. They are the hands and feet of Jesus. But Jesus is substantial. He is felt. He is significant. He reaches in spots and areas and ways that you cannot be reached and cared for by humanity. You know that book that I read at the beginning of the sermon? The whole book answers this question. Do you want a friend who... And then it just gives this list. Do you want a friend who loves you? Do you want a friend who comforts you? Do you want a friend who helps you be strong? Do you want a friend who is with you? Who knows you? Who prays for you? Who forgives you? Who helps you do good? Do you want a friend who saves you? Jesus is that better friend. Listen to this promise. John 14, 15-18 If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm going to ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. That's even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him because He dwells in you and He will be with you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm coming to you. I'm with you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to strengthen you. And even Psalm 23, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because God says, I'm with you. He's the only one that can restore the soul. He's the only one that can truly comfort in the depths of your despair. There is no greater substantial, powerful friend than Jesus Christ Himself. And so, draw near to Christ. Risk being a friend to others by forgetting self and loving largely. And patiently endure as friendships take time. You fight to be a friend as Christ is a friend to you. Let's pray. Father, I love You and I thank You for Your glorious Word. I thank You that we have a greater friend who has laid down His life for us, that we might know You, that we might know You intimately. And God, I just pray that You would foster in this church, in the people that are here right now, You would foster God-glorifying friendships. You would stir up a heart of love. Love that can forgive even when treated badly. You would stir up friends in here. People that want to listen. People that although they've been helped by others, they also looked at the one that helped them and they, they listened to them. Friends that pray for. That help us be strong in Christ. God, give us friends that comfort us. But oh God, please, keep us from being a demanding people and keep us from making friendships primary 
For then we'll always be reaching and always be let down. Oh God, please help us to count the victories. The victories that you give us in Christ. I love you so dearly. And I ask, oh God, that we would be closer to you because we've been here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.